man, it, God, it's been, it's been wild. I mean, um, 2021 has on, on one hand, there's been a lot of hope and promise on the horizon. On the other hand, there's just kind of been a lot of, a lot of weird stuff, kind of a continuation of 2020. Yeah. Kind weird of weird stuff's understatement, you know, like, so it's just, it's hard to, it's hard to, it's hard to say for sure, but certainly uh, the, the kind of vaccine rollout looks like it's going according to plan. And, you know, the numbers suggest that, you know, the, the infection rates are continuing to, to decrease. Yeah. Headed in um, the right direction. Which means lives are being, yeah. Lives are being saved. And yeah, I mean, I don't know. Um, seems like there's going to be a brighter tomorrow. Sports are happening, which is cool. It's not like we're on pause, like around this time last year, but fans and stadiums um, are happening. Fans and stadiums. And it looks like they're, you know, at least the projections suggest that they're going to, they're going to look to kind of get as many fans as possible in stadiums for like, you know, the, the next seasons, like in 2022 and beyond. So that, that makes me feel like folks are, are optimistic. I, I, I'm not gonna, I, I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I do have a sense that uh, in general, uh, out just out here in, in, you know, you keep your ear to the streets, you have a sense of um, this, I don't know, energy that, that's starting to gain, gain some, uh, some momentum. And people seem to want to connect, you know, they want to in, in nature and in public and, and they want to connect with people again. You know, they want to meet people again and get to know people again. Um, you know, they want to, uh, so that face-to-face interaction. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's, it's something about it that you just can't replace. Right. Uh, like we've, we've been doing this podcast now for a long time over, I guess, about a, about a year now, virtually, like we used to yeah. be in the same studio and now, you know, we, we, I, and we, we golf together, but you know, we don't kick it like we used to. And I don't know, man, it's tough. Yeah. I haven't seen you in person other than on the golf course. I know. <laughs> Which has been fun. It's been fun. You know, man. And, and, you know, I, I think it's been great. It's been great, but I do have a sense that there's the podcast, the energy, the chemistry of the podcast, it hasn't been quite the same, you know, because we're just, it's not face to face. I agree. I agree. There's something about that. Maybe it's the mirror neurons. Maybe it's just, it just feels good. I mean, we're, you're used to um, interacting with someone face to face next to them and doing it virtually. I, I mean, I can see your face and doing it from the comfort of my own home, which is nice, but it's different. There's a little bit of a lag. Um, but I also think uh, as humans, it's, we didn't evolve to, uh, to do this. I think we're, we're way beyond our, our evolution with, with regards to this technology, but mm-hmm. I, I digress. UFC 261 is going to be in Jacksonville on April 24th. And they're going to do a packed house, full house, 15,000 people. Whoa. So here we go. Wow. Okay. Are they going to have to bring their like vaccine card or <laughs> something like that? How are they going to make this uh, I work? I do not know that. I, I, I doubt that. Um, we'll see. Mm. We'll see. Well, I guess all the money they're going to make, you know, they can pay off the lawsuits or whatever. 
I'm kidding. I mean, I don't know. I, I guess the CDC. I don't think the CDC has that kind of uh, of of authorization in a UFC tournament. Yeah, well, well, out here in California, there's several different tiers. I think we're about if if not, we I think we've moved from the purple, which is the the highest severity, down to the red tier, where we're going to soon. And gyms are opening up. I'd like to see Fauci getting getting the octagon. Yeah, gyms have opened up out here, so that's a good sign. Movie theater is about to open up. Disney World or Disneyland, excuse me. And, uh, movie theaters, yeah, that that's um, that's interesting too. Yeah, that's interesting too, because I mean, they can get super packed, you know. Yeah. Um, I mean, everything's going to be opened up with a, a certain percentage, but Disneyland is supposed to open up, I think, at the beginning, uh, limited capacity at the beginning of April. Um, so we're we're well on our way, but but let's let's. I think everyone's kind of tired of talking about COVID and all these different things. I think what we're trying to talk about is the reopening of America, the reopening of the world. Um, although mm-hmm. there's a lot of countries that are still in the, in the, the thick of it. And we're, we still are too, but we're headed in the right direction and sports are going to be back in the right direction for sure. Um, sports are going to be back with fans. I think me and you had talked about this before, but the, the NBA this season, I mean, the bubble, was cool because it was kind of experimental and it was playoffs that it was short. Um, this year though, it's just not the same vibe, the same feelings, the same excitement as you would see during a normal season, especially this season when you have all these heavy hitters that are back, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, the Nets are looking good. Mm -hmm. Uh, LeBron Lakers are are ready to contend again. Clippers are trying to come out with vengeance got the jazz making a run. You got all these different teams. Giannis is out there with mm. ideally a better squad. Who knows? But you got a full stack of NBA, all the other than Clay Thompson. And it's just lacking a little bit of juice. A little bit of juice. And I, I think it goes back to the good old mirror neurons, you know, just wanting to, to be able to really, you know, uh, connect with the fans in a, you know, in person, you know, face to face. Um, hearing the roar of the crowd. It's something about this flat screen, you know, it's two dimensional. When I'm in person, I'm seeing all surfaces, you know, I'm, I'm having a full motion picture, four dimensional kind of experience, you know, and, and it's, it's just, uh, it can't be duplicated, it can't be replicated. And, yeah. and we're, we're so excited, we're so excited for, uh, for the return, for the, I guess, final return because we kind of had one return already um but i guess there will be uh, another another return a more a more uh glorious <laughs> return um, at some point in which yeah we're going to be able to finally hear the roar of the crowd where the crowd yeah. is going to be able to have an impact where you're going to have like the 12th man right like in Seattle and, and where the home field and home court advantage really means something. Oh it's yeah. Like in sports. Toronto, Toronto, when Kawhi hit that shot a couple of years ago, golden state usually is always popping. But I, I miss that as a fan. I miss it. You miss energy. And I think these players, they're a little burned out. Obviously there's the COVID protocols. They have to get tested constantly, but without the screaming fans. And I know they have a few fans that can show up in certain stadiums, but it's just not the same. I think in the playoffs that made up for that because it's already like it's the pl- NBA playoffs. Like you saw yeah. Jamal Murray and go, go insane. It's going to be intense regardless, but during you're playing, I think this year, 72 games with no fans, like some days, some nights you're going to, you're going to see less consistent performances and 
you're going to see guys take nights off. And I think we've seen that other than LeBron, he seems to be really going <laughs> for that MVP and maybe he has a shot now that Joel got hurt. So mm-hmm. we'll see. sure does. Now I'll tell you what, uh, you mentioned something earlier that that was really interesting, the bubble and the bubble experiment and how unique that was. Right. And, and how ultimately uh, we'll probably never really have something like that again. Um, that type of experience where, you know, the players, there's no traveling, you know, the players are kind of confined to one space, no home court advantage and so forth. And yet a victor emerged, right? The Los Angeles Lakers and LeBron James, Anthony Davis, you know, and, and when you kind of start to, to chronicle the stories from the bubble, now, right, in, in hindsight, you learn about some of the, you know, the chaos that was happening behind the scenes. I mean, we saw some of it, you know, obviously, but players revolted at some point, you know, uh, in, in, the, in the middle of, of things. And, you know, there was that walkout, um, you know, and there was obviously that LA Clippers, you know, kind of story that came out. But um, Paul, jo- Paul George was admitted to kind of suffering from mental health issues while he was in the bubble. Well, yeah, that's right. Yep. Paul George, PG, PG, uh, is it three thirteen? I, I can never remember. 13. Um, 13. Okay. Um, no, but yeah, no, Paul George came out and, um, revealed that he had been going through it and, and what he was going through was, uh, something I can't, we can't diagnose. I didn't sit down in a clinical setting with Mr. George, but, it sounded like what he was describing was kind of an adjustment disorder. Uh, and that's something that uh, I could really understand when I think about the experience those players would have had in that bubble being isolated from family, you know, um, you know, kind of really working just as hard as ever um, and not really be able to kind of yeah, have different kind the, of surroundings. In the middle of a pandemic. In the middle of a pandemic. Yep. In the middle of all these race relations going on oh yeah the political climate you know the the kind of cultural climate at the time and which is kind of still not obviously fully healed and resolved so yeah i mean there was just so much going on and in the midst of all of that in some ways it it does make sense that a team led by lebron james of all teams that you know were, were in that tournament would have been the one that emerged as victorious because you know we know LeBron James to be the the mental fitness ambassador right he he's he is the calm spokesperson um you know he's the guy that you know is is you know has been well documented on you know many different YouTubes and whatnot as uh repping the mental fitness brand and how he uses, you know, the power of his mind to kind of take over when, you know, his, his body, um, you know, kind of starts to, to, to fail him. And, and then that carries him through. And we, we, you know, talked about also in the midst of all of that, the last dance documentary, right. And how Michael Jordan also mentioned mental fitness being the piece that he needed to take him from being a great player, you know, perennial all-star, best scorer in the league, to becoming a champion, right? And breaking this. Breaking this is exactly mental fitness is exactly what separates the elite players from the goats. Like 
LeBron James, Michael Jordan, some of the best athletes you'll ever see step foot on any, any uh, field of play. But it, it was their mental fitness game that made them who they are and made them the two best basketball players, the two best, two of the best athletes of all time throughout right. all sports. That's right. And, uh, you know, we, we talk a lot about mental fitness. Um, we've, we have a, a program in which we teach mental fitness. You know, we have our uh, kind of core principles. And, you know, these core principles are the fundamentals upon which a, a mental fitness framework can be, can be built, you know, that can, can really, um, you know, be the, I think, the basis for mental toughness, mental flexibility, getting into the zone, you know, and all the things that go into to, uh, to having greatness. And one of the reasons why we love mental fitness among so many is that it's the kind of, of thing that can really enhance an athlete's ability to where your physical limitations, which let's face it, genetics does play a role, right? And, ge and genetics is one of these things that uh, unfortunately we don't have a lot of control over. So, you know, it's really great to know that there are things that we can develop, you know, beyond, you know, our God-given talents. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. It's and, like control the controllables. Control the controllables, right? There are things that we can develop that can actually put, place us on par with more physically talented players, if not better. And there's a lot of athletes in the league that we can look to for examples, believe it or not, in, in really any professional sport. And we're gonna talk about a lot of these athletes where, where the physical gifts weren't necessarily there, where they were you know, potentially even looked over, right? At the high school level, the college level, or, you know, if, if they were uh, good enough to, to kind of stand out in those earlier years, maybe they were picked in the second, third, fourth round, but eventually in time became champions. You know, so you ask yourself, how in the world did that happen? How in the world does a guy or gal come up uh, through their, um, their primary years you know, into developmental years through, through high school, uh, become adults, become adults, grown adults. Right. Uh, and, and, and no one sees them coming. How does that happen that at the professional level? And that's, that's the question we want to try to provide some clarity to today. Late bloomers. And this, this episode is all about late bloomers. That's right. At the end of the day, being a late bloomer, being someone who's overlooked initially can actually play to your advantage. And we'll tell you why. Cue the music. Oh yeah. Let's go. All right. So we got episode 59. We got late bloomers. We already set the stage. We're going to break Absolutely. down several different athletes from several different sports. Late bloomers. That fit this profile of people, individuals who 
either came late on the scene at a young age or came late on the scene in the professional league and, and just took over. And then we're going to detail what kind of characteristics each of these individuals have, what they use to their advantage, being late bloomers, late bloomers, intent, but mental fitness. And then we're going to, if for any of you late bloomers out there right now, I was late bloomer myself, except I never bloomed. <laughs> um, we're going to detail like concrete things you can do. It was a, a sprout. Yeah. It was a sprout. We're going to sprouted. We're going to detail concrete things you can do to help yourself, specifically if you're a high school football athlete out there. Um, so let's go ahead and get into it. Who, which, which late bloomer athlete? Well, look, hold on. Before, before we get into it, though, I, I, I do want to just make sure that we're, we're, not, we're not guilty of offending anyone. Because late bloomers, I think some people can, can take it out of context. I think some people may think of it as almost kind of being, um, it's like, a, like insulting, right? Like, like this, this, is, this is a... A, a thing that you would want to avoid, right? And I'm telling you right now, this is actually, this could be one of the greatest things that could ever happen to a person. Um, oh yeah. And we're gonna talk about, we're gonna talk about how and why. Um, yeah, sure. It, it seems like it would be great to, to be the first to, you know, kind of sprout, you know, get the first to grow, you know, breast buds. We'll probably won't put that in. <laughs> Um, or, you know, facial hair or, you know, things like that. The first two, you know, kind of grow, you know, get, you know, that muscle tone, you know, that kind of adult like body because that usually means you're going to be the fastest, right? The strongest, uh, you're going to, you know, probably your skills are going to develop faster. And so you're going to probably get more playing time, probably, you know, be a more, statistically sound athlete. So, you know, you're a high school athlete yeah. and you're trying to look attractive to colleges. It's going to be hard to get playing time, uh, being a person that's just not as physically gifted. Right. Yeah. Well, I want to take this a step further because we talked about this before in a previous uh, podcast episode, I think it was mental health for young athletes, part one, and it's in the book outliers by Malcolm Gladwell. They talk about the relative age effect. So there's, they make these arbitrary cutoffs as to um, how old you have to be to enter into certain sports leagues. So essentially they, they like a psychologist studied this and there's a correlation between sports cutoff dates and birthdays when studying elite hockey players specifically. And they found an extraordinary number of elite youth and professional hockey players were born in the month of January, February, and March. Nearly five times as many athletes are born in January mm. than November. So why is that? So the five times. Yeah. So the cutoff. Wow, that's crazy, yeah. right? I mean, it's a lot of motherfucking people. Sorry. So what's the cutoff? You know, we like to get jiggy. The eligibility here. cutoff is January first. So guess what? That means the kids that are born in January, they have versus the kids that are born in November, they have what? That's an eleventh month head start and maturity 11 month head start and yeah. that doesn't matter when you're and, in and your 30s 11 months may not seem like i was gonna say may not seem like much yeah when you're guys like us but it's like 10 percent of your life when you're you know 12 13 years old yeah. you know it's it's a lot yeah and it, i mean it's like a lot and of puberty time. ranges <laughs> tremendously for individuals i was a late bloomer when it came to puberty i don't think i went through puberty till like 14 or 15 so when sucks for you so 
these individuals people you know what you can't just stop you can't just say that though the our viewers our listeners they're smarter than that puberty happens in stages so what tanner stage were you at age 15 that's the real question i do not remember the standard tanner stage i think i got my fear uh my first underarm hair at 13 years old and i was probably through hmm. my growth spurt by the time i was 15 or 16. i had my i was the shortest was one of the sh okay Wow, I didn't have a wet dream until I was in college. Isn't that weird? Yeah. <laughs> we might, All right, we're we getting might a little off tangent here. <laughs> you it's part your of normal wet dream was like your first sexual intercourse. <laughs> I was, yeah, I, I did not. I was the shortest kid in my class my freshman year. You know, one of my best friends uh, from college has a very similar story. It's kind of interesting, but anyway. Yeah. So I don't know what that it, you know what it tells, means tells you guys about our relationship. It me you know what it means though. It's, it's one of these interesting things, man. To to be a late bloomer. Um, well, hold you, on. Let you, me let me fin let me finish this thought with regards to these hockey players real quick. So, and these numbers are true for every elite hockey group that this psychologist studied. His name is Roger Barnsley. You can check it out. Search Roger Barnsley relative age effect. So the reason why this was is because obviously the January kids are 11 months more mature than the November kids. And the reason why this is important, they're not only more physically, more likely to be more physically mature because they're 11 months older during a time of puberty, because this was between the ages of seven and 13, they then get selected to be in the higher level leagues. So what happens when they get selected to be in these higher level leagues, they get higher level training, coaching, competition, and then they're off to the races. They're going to become better just by the virtue of them being in the better leagues with better competition, better training, better coaching, and, and the whole nine versus the kids that are in the, born in November, December. They get put in the secondary leagues, and they don't get as much coaching. So then the gap just gets kind of extrapolated from there, and then that's why you see that it still rings true in the NHL, the professional leagues, when these guys 10 years later. But... Today, we're going to talk about how it's actually can be a virtue. Can be. To be a late bloomer. Patience is a virtue. That's what they say. And, uh, and I believe them because I believe in late bloomers. And I believe in late bloomers because I can, I can talk about several late bloomers who went on to become Hall of Famers in their respective sports. Yeah. We can talk about the, the kids that didn't start for their high school teams until they were seniors. If we're doing NFL, I'm Barry Sanders, my personal favorite NFL player alongside Peyton Manning. Um, he didn't start on his high school team till he's a senior. Amazing. Clay, he was a Heisman Trophy winner, by the way, in college a few years later. Clay Matthews, remember long hair, long Goldilocks for the Green Bay Packers. I think he's still in the- How can you forget Clay Matthews? He didn't start till his senior year even though his dad was the coach and his, his dad was an NFL player. So he had the, the pedigree. He just didn't start till his senior year. Uh, Antonio Gates, he didn't even play football in college. Jimmy Graham, he didn't play football in college. These are kind of your younger guys. Ooh, you'll like this one. Anthony Davis. He didn't start until he was like a junior. He didn't get, well, he didn't get any college offers at all. But guess what? Before well, he was super short, was, right? I mean, he didn't yeah, get a growth well, spurt. He didn't get his growth spurt until. I mean, late super short relatively. But this is a good example because he was six three after his sophomore year. I mean, I would. It'd be awesome if I was six three, but 
at six three, no offers. Guess what? He grows. Yeah. What he grows? He what is he six ten? He grew grew six seven inches in between sophomore junior year. Yeah. And next thing you know, he's getting, he's the number one recruit in the country. Goes to Kentucky, wins a national championship, and the sky's the limit. But listen, the one of the reasons why he's so skilled. Guess what? Because when he was six three and not guard. getting recruited, mm-hmm. guess what he was doing? He's point guard. He's learned how to dribble. He's developing mm-hmm. all those different skills. That then next thing you know, he grows seven inches. He's got the skills of a six three guy at nearly seven feet tall. Yeah. So he took advantage of being a late bloomer. Would you look at that? Yeah. Yeah, and, and obviously being a point guard, you're the primary decision maker. You're the ball handler. Um, you're the guy that's you know sort of controlling the offense. So you know, you, you you have to think through the game, right? You have to have you know as they say the, the high, you know, high basketball IQ. And basketball IQ is mental fitness. You know, it, it's it's a it's it's an extension of mental fitness. It's it's a component of really athleticism. But it's a, it's a, it's the, the power, the superpower is, is really, you know, it comes from your mind and right, not your body and your ability to anticipate, um, your ability to, you know, sort of, you know, engage the, the flow of, of what's happening, you know, on the field or on the court, uh, in such a way that you can, you know, sort of see things before they happen, you know, you, you're, you're making predictions about what your opponent's going to do, what your teammates, you know, are going to do. You, you know, where you're, where you're supposed to be uh, within the scheme of things and you know where everyone else is supposed to be within the scheme of things. And, you know, being able to think ahead like that, um, you know, having that type of focus enables you to not be distracted by, you know, sort of, what happened the last play, but, you know, maintaining focus on, you know, the task at hand. Yeah. Right. That's mental toughness is mental fitness. Yeah. Yeah. Mental fitness. So that's what it's all about. Before we get into tease out, like the benefits, the virtues of being a late bloomer, I want to shout out some more players. Um, you want to, you want to go ahead and start with like, the NFL. Absolutely, man. Kurt Warner, the one and only Kurt yeah. Warner. That's a that's- classic late bloomer. Yeah, so this is a guy, and you guys should know Kurt Warner. Kurt Warner, even the Gen Z Sears know Kurt Warner. Hopefully, so he he wasn't drafted in 1994, undrafted. Um, so guess what he did? He went to his local grocery store and started working there with stocking shelves. Um, a year later, he decided uh, I'm not done playing football, so he went and started playing arena football. I don't know if anyone knows that what that is because that doesn't really exist anymore. Um, but he was he impressed. So guess what? The Rams, Los Angeles Rams. Not at the time, St. Louis Rams at the time, took a look at him in 1998. And he started as their third stringer, and the rest is history. He became the starter, and the very next year led, at the time, best offense in NFL history. What did they call it? The greatest show on turf. The greatest baby. show on turf. Absolutely. And they were that. Dude won an, M- he won an MVP in both the regular season and the Super Bowl. That's Tom Brady, like, you know, that's this. That guess moment. how old he was he was 28 years old amazing and tom, tom brady did this i mean I, I actually we didn't think about this but tom brady may be a late bloomer but tom brady when he did this he was a lot younger i don't know how old he was off the top of my head but he was probably in his early 20s this guy was kurt warner was 28 yeah yeah no it's it's just it's just he, he is an absolutely fascinating story 
because it, you just don't see any, you just don't see guys or ladies, people like this. You just don't see it. I mean, um, it's just unheard of, you know, I mean, I guess a lot of people don't understand when you hear the arena league, cause it's, it's not a, a thing anymore, but can you imagine like a guy that's not, a, that's not drafted, <laughs> he was not on anybody's radar at all, eventually becoming not just, I mean, not just like a, I don't want to, I don't want to say a flash in the pan, like a Nick Foles, but I mean, Kurt Warner was actually a great quarterback for many years and Oh, he's a hall of famer. He, yeah, I mean, he, he went to famer. two other super bowls, Brady, Brady, he, he went, he took the Rams to a super bowl again. Brady took him out. Yeah. Um, and then he also, uh, we took the Arizona Cardinals to the super bowl and to the playoffs. Exactly. Multiple times. Yeah. So, uh, and, I, and it wasn't for big Ben, they, he would have had a second. Exactly. Super bowl. This dude was undrafted in 94 yeah. and it's not like he signed to a team undrafted. He didn't get picked up till four years later. And in those four years, he was a grocery store at a grocery store stocking shelves and playing arena football. Unbelievable. And this dude comes out of nowhere, comes off the street, throws 41 tutties, 4,300 yards. Back in the day when quarterbacks didn't do that, mm -hmm. now everyone does that mm -hmm. and goes and wins an MVP and a Super Bowl MVP. We're never going to oh, see yeah. something like that again. No, not like that. And then, and then, like, I don't. Five years, ten years later, he was in the Super Bowl with the Cardinals. So this was sustained success. Mm -hmm. Now he 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 was clear, certainly that that was um, like I said, like lightning, lightning strike twice in the same. I see that again. But I, I think the closest thing to Kurt Warner that I had seen before Kurt Warner was Steve Young. Okay, Steve Young was what I, you know, almost more like your traditional or more, more common late bloomer example, because here's a person that uh, it wasn't like he wasn't drafted at all. Um, and, you know, he was a pretty good quarterback in his own right at BYU. Uh, you know, he was a great quarterback there, but he wasn't necessarily, you know, uh, a, a guy that was, you know, first round pick. And he didn't come into the league with, with he actually a lot of initially he signed with the USFL back then. I think back then they were competing, trying to compete with the NFL. So they were sign signing a lot of college guys. So he actually started with them before getting drafted in the supplemental league two years later, with the uh, Tampa Bay Bucks. after that league had folded. So it's like, I think it was like the version of our XFL except better. Okay. Yeah, but you know what's interesting about the USFL though is that they actually there were they actually had some decent talent that they uh, were able to draft because didn't they also draft uh, Rock, the Rocket Rahe Bishma? Yeah, I think so. Or was he the CFL? Yeah, I don't know. We got a lot of CFL. Yeah, I mean, there, but there were there were some alternative pathways. Yeah, and and but here's a guy that um, he came into the league and probably had the skill set I would say to uh, to start on many teams. But of course, when he came into the league, he was, you know, sitting behind Joe Montana, right? Who at that time was the greatest quarterback ever. And there was no way that he was going to take his spot. He got his opportunity because Montana got hurt. You know, everybody remembers that Lawrence Taylor, uh, damn near career ending hit from behind. I believe that was in the Super Bowl or the NFC championship. I believe that was the NFC championship that year before the Giants went on to win the Super Bowl. Um, but 
Yeah, Steve Young, once he got his chance, uh, he never gave it up. Like he basically sat, you know, kind of in waiting. So that was that was yeah. Five years in, into his NFL career, five or yeah. six years. And, into his NFL and once career. it was so almost just like you can imagine just, you know, just he was uh, just sitting there. I, I think it was just like the energy was just like welling up inside of him for five years, like you said, just you know, waiting to be unleashed. And he, he really took the league by storm when he finally got his shot. Yeah, similar to Kurt Warner in his full, actually it was in, in his second year as a starter, led the Niners to a 14-2 record and won MVP. And then two years later in the 94 season, he wins MVP again, but this time leads his team to the Super Bowl and wins Super Bowl MVP. Well, did he? Yeah. Against, oh, and we all remember that Super Bowl against the, the Chargers. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The Steelers blew it against the Chargers in the AFC Championship game that yeah, year. That was great. They would have gave the Niners a better game. <laughs> no doubt. But no, I, I remember I loved – I was actually a huge 49ers fan as a kid. Jerry Rice was my idol. I loved him. And, you know, naturally I was going to love their quarterbacks. And Steve Young was, in the 90s, really my favorite player. Um, and I, and really, I loved his story. You know, I love the story of a guy that, you know, no one saw coming and just shocked, you know, he shocked everybody. I mean, you know, and obviously no one was going to see you when you, you know, you're, you know, in, in the shadows of a legend like Joe Montana, but man, you know, you, you have to, the thing that I, you have to love about this story the most is that, you know, I mean, that's a lot of pressure. Oh, right? that's are a, you a kidding huge, me? choose to fill um and to handle it with that that level of grace you know that's the thing you you really appreciate about about steve young how much he was trying to he was biting at the bolt to get in there after waiting five six years from college but then he's filling the shoes of the greatest quarterback of all time in that moment joe montana and then he goes in there and wins wins a, another super bowl for the 49ers wins two mvps and this guy this is a guy that epitomized grit work ethic he did he would do anything to win he was kind of like less physically imposing john elway where he would take the ball and run the ball he was kind of a dual threat guy back in the day oh he's absolutely dual threat guy and, and did anything he could to win absolutely dual threat guy he would he put his head down man he would put his head down like he didn't he didn't slide no you know he would try to truck guys it was it was great i loved he would it. do whatever it takes yeah. he he took advantage of every ounce of his athletic ability in order to be as good he, as he was. And these are guys, Kurt Warner, Steve Young, that epitomize resilience and mental fitness because these are guys that had to wait in the wings for several years to get their shot. And when they got their shot, they didn't look back. They took full advantage of it. And that's because they were mentally fit. That's yeah. because they were self-aware. They knew, they knew that they had it in them. They really focused in on their strengths and knew their weaknesses and to strengthen those weaknesses and and we're grateful they these are guys definitely guys if you ever talk heard kurt warner or, or steve young talk these are happy-go-lucky very grateful individuals who talk all the time about how oh yeah about all the joys of playing football and and, and that type of attitude yeah, the passion for the game the love of the game they do the, they play the game the right way 
They always get credit their teammates. You're not going to stick around as a backup or an undrafted guy and grind your teeth in the in the arena football or or grind your teeth in the USFL unless you have Never. a passion and a gratitude for playing the sport, unless you truly love the sport and, and have appreciation for that. So these are mindful guys. These are grateful guys. These are self-aware. And these are individuals who became confident in their abilities. That's why they stuck it out. They're not, they weren't there to be career backups. They weren't there to, to play in their, make a career out of playing in the arena football. These are guys that knew of their potential. They had to have to reach that. Well, you, well, they had to have confidence. They had to have confidence, but the, confidence takes time to develop, especially as a late bloomer. And, and I think one of the, the tools of mental fitness that we talk a lot about and that we teach is communication and the art of communication and the different ways in which you communicate in order to convey, uh, if you're in team sports, right? In order to convey leadership, right? We lead by example, right? By being an example in terms of how we prepare, you know, how we play and, you know, letting our teammates know we're, we're willing to do whatever it takes, mm -hmm. as you said, with Steve Young cool. to get the job done. That's always going to resonate well with, with, you know, your teammates. And, and, you know, I think communication is obviously something that, you know, great leaders, they, 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 vote, they can be vocal as well. Right. And I think that your, your team, they want to hear from you, right. They want to know what, what, you know, you think and know what you have to say. And, you know, certainly when you're on, the field or on the court in the, in the, you know, in battle, you have to be able to know where each other is going to be at all times. Right. And you have to be able to convey to each other the right information in order to make the right play. That's all communication. And these are the things, the intangibles that can be enhanced and improved to make you a better, a better performer, you know, a better overall athlete. Uh, in spite of what you may not necessarily have mm -hmm. physically. Yeah. So let's, let's move forward to, to different uh, sports real quick. So the MLB, um, one guy comes to mind. He actually, this is a guy who had all the talent in the world. He was the number one overall draft pick in the 1999 MLB draft. This is Josh Hamilton. So this is a guy, like I said, all the talent in the world, but he had injuries and he also had drug addiction that derailed his attempts at making the majors. So even though he was the number one pick in the 1999 draft, he didn't actually make his MLB debut until eight years later. And then it wasn't until 11 years later when he really broke out, he batted 359 and won league MVP for the Texas Rangers. And during that time, the Rangers won back-to-back -back AL pennants, went to the World Series. They were the best they've been in years since Nolan Ryan, Nolan Ryan on the Rangers. Yeah. Since Nolan Ryan was there. Yep. Absolutely. Um, yeah. This is like, this is a classic story right here. So this is a guy this who is a classic literally. Story. And this is someone who late bloomer, not in the sense of physicality because he had it all. He had all the tools late bloomer in the sense of his mental fitness and late bloomer in the sense of him kind of getting everything in together. Cause he had legit, struggles with mental health issues and still does mind you because he really only had like a five six year run before injuries caught up again and i think he is still battling drug addiction issues but this is a guy who oh, this is great 
ended up. I mean, this is great. This is, this is, this is the story that we all really hope for. This is, this is a great, this is what we wanted. This is what we wanted, for example, for, for Josh Gordon, mm -hmm. you know, for Johnny Manziel. This is why we were so happy for Antonio Brown. You know, when guys bounce back from adversity and they reach their full potential, Antonio Brown is a Super Bowl champion. Three years ago, no one in their right mind would have, you know, <laughs> had, would have imagined that. In fact, mo I, I, you poll anybody in sports three years ago and they would have told you, or let's say two years ago, they would have told you that Antonio Brown is, won't be in the league in, in the year 2021. No, he's a Super Bowl champion. So, yeah, so it, it, you know, these things can happen. Just like a late bloomer, in a sense, has to come or overcome the adversity of, of not necessarily of being overlooked early on, not getting the best training early on because you don't lack some physicality or some certain skill that doesn't place you in the correct leagues. Um, you get undrafted, you have to really fight hard because there's no guaranteed money being an undrafted free agent. So you have to fight 10 times as hard. If you're struggling with mental illness, if you're struggling with substance abuse issues, that's a, you have to fight extremely hard to overcome that. So it's, it takes the same mental fitness. It takes the same mindfulness, gratitude, honesty to yourself, integrity, conf developing confidence, being a good communicator with yourself and other people to overcome these types of adversities in order to, to realize whatever potential you had as an athlete. And that's what Josh Hamilton did. Um, other athletes, yeah, other man. athletes in the MLB, yeah. Randy Johnson, the big unit, one of my personal favorites, won a world series with the, with the uh, diamondbacks. I, I loved watching him with King Griffey jr. Back on the Seattle Mariners. He didn't make it into the major leagues until he was 25 years old. This is, this is a hall of famer and Lorenzo Kane still playing now for the Milwaukee Brewers. He was cut from his freshman basketball team. Never played baseball before, but they were like, hey, you're athletic. Why don't you come join the baseball team? And he played base, started playing baseball. was on JV until he was a senior. And then the rest is history. Got drafted out of high school. So wow. amazing. It, it, these, there's, there's plenty of guys that are in the MLB that, that were late bloomers. There's, and there's plenty of guys who are in the MLB now that are probably unknown that you're going to, that are going to pop out of the scene out of nowhere and become all stars, MVP level players. And it's all because of probably their mental fitness and their ability to, to really specialize in that, because that's the one that's the, that's how you differentiate yourself. Athletic ability gets you in the door, mental fitness, mental ability takes you to the next level. Oh, it really does. It, it, it right. It, it, as uh, Greg Popovich, as Greg Popovich likes to say, you know, you go from good shot to great shot. You know, you, you go from great shot to champion you know like that's that's what mental fitness does for you it, it it takes you to that next level in your game wherever you are it's going to take you to you know an, another level and if you continue to use it to your your advantage i i mean i it, the sky's the limit the sky's the limit you know i think that's what that, that's what we've yeah we've seen with mental fitness is that you know you, it, it can really take you to so all so many heights i mean think about lebron james and Tom Brady, these guys are really completely re reshaping the landscape of what the lifespan of a professional athlete looks like. They're completely re you know, changing that. And in both, in both instances, 
they credit mental fitness as being the special sauce, right? The, that kind of added component to their game that enabled them to have longevity, that enabled them to have longevity in their careers. Everyone talks about how like, if I knew what I knew now in my 15th year in the league, when I did in my second year, I'd be unstoppable because I'd had the body of a 22 year old. These guys, LeBron and Tom Brady, their bodies obviously aren't the same as when they came into the league or five years into the league. They've, but they've kept their, they've maintained their bodies at adequate levels to compete. We know, we still know LeBron's a freak, freak athlete at, at his, at his age. And, um, Tom Brady well, because he's think, never been injured. I mean, he, yeah. uh, you know, Tom Brady has had at least that ACL. Yeah. No, LeBron no one James was, really had no, no one's injury. describing, uh, Tom Brady as a freak athlete, but what they did do is they figured out ways to maintain their, their athletic performance or maintain their physicality to a certain extent. And how did they do that? They, they re they prioritized and through mental fitness realized the things they needed to do. They were self-aware enough um, to do the things they need to do to, to maintain their bodies. And that's one piece of it. So their bodies are, 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 are maintaining through into their late thirties and forties. Like we have never seen before in the history of, of these positions in sports. But then the, like Armin said, the mental fitness game of it, they're maintaining their bodies and they're still gaining all this different experience and knowledge. Yeah. And they're continuing to be grateful for these opportunities to play a child's game to win championships, that fire is still in them. That fire is still in them because they're, they're, they're grateful. They're grateful mm -hmm. to play this game. They enjoy it. And, and they know how much it, it means so much to them. And they're great leaders. They have great communication. And obviously they're confident as hell, but they're, at the end of the day, they're just very self-aware of what they need to do to continue to compete at the highest level. So they're going to keep continuing to gain this experience and this knowledge through playing the game. Um, they're all, and since they've been in the game longer than anyone well, you else, you know what they are, man. They're, they're, they're the smartest guys in the room. That's what they are. They're always the smartest guys in the room. Always the guys in whatever the situation, in game, you know, outside the game, between the lines, outside the lines, whatever the case may be. They're always the ones. It's like all eyes on me. And, you know, they're using their platform to, you know, have really serious influence uh, and just constantly making game-changing plays. I want to I just make sure before we move forward, I want to comment on what you said, and I want to just make it clear. This is why late, being a late bloomer is there's no negative connotation really to this whatsoever. Because late bloomers actually means a lot of things. It's not just about uh, the point at which you came to prominence. You know, it's, it, we're not, it, it, it's, it's actually about uh, when you reach your full potential, your full potential. And mental fitness is what helps you reach your full potential. LeBron James is no late bloomer, right? We saw that guy coming when he was like 14, 15 years old. In the traditional sense, that's, that's not what we consider a late bloomer. However, LeBron James, uh, you know, and you can use a guy like, um, like Ben Simmons as a great example. LeBron James, he came into the league based on his talent level, his physical skill set. Had he sort of plateaued there or maybe just gotten a little bit better, 
there's no way he would achieve the level of success that that he did. Um, and he's even, you know, again, well documented saying that um, mental fitness is not only what enabled him to develop the confidence to have that, you know, a, a reliable jump shot, right, that enabled him to spread the floor so that he could, you know, really become the best driver of the basketball we've ever seen. Um, but it also, again, that next progression of his game. So there were multiple progressions that mental fitness enabled for him, right? which that next progression was, well, how do I now become a champion, right? So the, the first five years in the league were about him really trying to develop his game with, with mental fitness, becoming a guy that could use the basketball IQ to help facilitate, to help control the pace of the game, and then using that mental toughness to expand his game and his skill set. And then again, the next level, the next progression, using that mental toughness to, to figure out how to overcome his fear and become a champion, yeah. right? Overcome yeah. the adversities and become a champion. So get this. So Michael Jordan comes in the league in 1984. He wins the first MVP four years later in 1988. So he's the best player in the league four years into his NBA career. But he doesn't win a championship until 1991, three years after that. So it took him seven years in the league. And then by the time he was considered the best player in the league with MVP, it took him another three years to win a championship. LeBron, drafted in 2003, wins MVP 2009, six years into the league. He's the, considered the best player in the league. He doesn't win his first championship until three years later, 2012. So mental fit they're not late bloomers by any means but here they're regarded as the best players four six years into the league but they don't win the championship they don't take their team to the next level despite being the best player in the league until three years later no and these are the goats right here so that just shows you like they're not late bloomers in the sense of physicality and i wouldn't even consider them late bloomers at all but they developed that mental fitness, mm -hmm. that mental aspect of the game to get them over the hump from being the, not just the best player in the league, but to be being champions. And it took them three years. So, yeah, you know, and, and that's, that's the, the, the part that I really want to emphasize to the, to the viewers and the, and the listeners is, is that what we're talking about is the ability to really uh, enhance your, your game and your performance, elevate, your performance to where you're kind of taking on a new identity, right? You, you are creating a different arc, a new arc in terms of the, uh, the, the height and, and the potential of where you can go with your game. Uh, when you talk to these athletes that have become champions, what you, what you see time and time again in their stories is that, they had to go through changes, like meaningful, conscious, like uh, they were consciously aware of these transformations where they developed a certain level of maturity, a certain level of awareness. That they just think something they never thought about before, um, a, a different type of commitment or a different type of focus, a mm -hmm. renewed interest, a renewed drive, a renewed passion, oftentimes triggered by adversity, 
right? Like in LeBron James case, losing that first championship to the, the Spurs, when you go through these failures, that's when it, the, the message becomes clear. Okay, I have to do something different now. And yeah. sometimes that may be the trigger, the catalyst, but whatever it is, it's these, these, these transformations. Yeah. Then let, let's look at what kind of transformations did they make? How did they display self-awareness? Michael Jordan's case, he was getting, getting his shit kicked in by the Detroit Pistons. He wasn't physical enough. So what did he do? He was self-aware. He was mindful. He got in the gym, put on muscle. You saw in the last dance documentary and guess what? You're not pushing me around the, anymore. I'm going to push you around and we're going to sweep you and we're going to win the title. What did LeBron do? He lost to the Spurs, but then he went and lost to the Mavs when he had the, the super team in Miami. And in that finals, he deferred. He deferred to Dwayne Wade. Why are you deferring if you've been the best player in the league, the MVP, the last three years? Um, so what did he do? He took over the alpha role. He took over the, the alpha role. He was the go-to guy. And guess he what? Sure they did. won the next two titles. Um, awareness, mindfulness. This is what they used. And you mentioned something earlier that, that Tom Brady, LeBron are the smartest guys in the room. We don't need smart by like intelligence wise IQ. Smart means mentally fit. It means self-aware. It right. means being honest with yourself. Yeah. Not like academic IQ. Like, you know, they're not going to go and get the 1600 on the SAT or whatever, but um, it means still socially inept being able to communicate. Yeah. Being able to, to know yourself, being honest with yourself and being honest with your teammates, being able to communicate to your teammates, being able to get the best out of your teammates and being confident. So, um, yeah, man, absolutely. And why don't we go ahead and now turn our attention to a more traditional type of a late bloomer athlete for the NBA, Dennis Rodman. Oh, Dennis Rodman. You know? Classic. Yeah. I mean, so here's a uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> certainly went through a lot of transitions and transformations uh, in the league. You know, we saw that that firsthand. But from the standpoint of mental fitness, he uh, he was actually, if you can imagine, five six uh, in his freshman year of high school. Yeah, I said I was the shortest kid in my high school uh, as a freshman. I think I was shorter than five six, um, but. He well, was five six. That's that's yeah. I mean, but you're not you you're not an NBA Hall of Famer. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's, this is incredible. I mean, yeah. He I didn't grow I didn't grow uh, over a foot. <laughs> well, he he actually quit the team. Um, and but then over the course of high school, he had a crazy growth spurt and um, started playing basketball again later in life. Actually, when he was in college at South. Eastern Oklahoma State. He didn't even play. He didn't play high school basketball. No, he didn't. He didn't. He didn't, he didn't go back to the team. He didn't play again until college. Wow. Yeah. And um, but somehow or another, this growth spurt just it, it was more than just you know I, I guess a height thing. Like he actually developed legitimate you know uh, skills, like athletic skills, and uh, he became an All American at Southeastern Oklahoma State. So go figure. N-A-I-A, All-American. Yeah. So let's look at Rodman, though. So he had, like, what, pretty much zero experience. He had this growth spurt and was an athletic freak. So talk about, talk about self-awareness, talk about mindfulness to be able to go from not playing high school basketball to joining a junior college or community or an NAIA school at 23 years old. How does he end up in the NBA? So he gets drafted in 1986 
in the second round. How does how does he do that? Because he realized what he's good at. He was mm -hmm. mindful, mm -hmm. and what he was good at was he was an athletic freak. So he's going to hustle his tail off and get pretty much every single rebound, loose balls in the game. Yeah, all the the whole nine. He was the guy that just kind of did all the dirty work. You know, he was a grit and grind. You know, dude. He was a guy that was pretty much kind of almost like a Draymond Green, you know, type of dude that the box score, it was always going to look weird. You know, it was going to be like one for six from the field. If Rodman had six shots, that would be a, a, a big night for him. Well, that's true. He just put all his marbles into the defensive yeah. and rebounding basket. Yeah. He knew what his strengths were. He was self-aware. He was mindful. And he knew that worked. And he won two championships with the Pistons before even joining up with Michael Jordan. Mm -hmm. And he was a critical piece critical piece um and as you mentioned two-time nba defensive player of the year okay all nba all defense seven what seven times dude didn't really even play competitive yeah. basketball until he was 23 years old that's incredible yeah that just goes to show you man i mean anything anything's possible man anything's possible and you know let, let's 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 talk about this is you know what i love about the dennis rodman story what I love about the Dennis Rodman story is as crazy as people are going to think that this sounds in many ways, he is a great ambassador for our mental fitness principle of integrity. And the reason why I say that is because integrity, as far as mental fitness is concerned. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly about, you know, being accountable, being reliable, being dependable, and apparently he was a guy that wasn't the most accountable player, you know, when, when he, uh, you know, played for the Bulls, uh, you missed a lot of practice and stuff like that. But here's one thing about Dennis Rodman he, and why he was even allowed to get away with that. He was the, one of the most sort of, you know, you could say self-aware uh, on one hand, but I just, I just like to say that, you know, he, he was, he was, he knew who he was. Okay. He knew who he was. Um, he was very honest with himself. Um, and, uh, from what I understand, you know, from, you know, looking at documentary footage, um, from teammates, he was very honest with everybody else. You know, what you saw with Dennis Rodman is what you got, you know, and he's going to tell you exactly what he thought, speak his mind. He was a very honest person. And I think that honesty is kind of this under the radar virtue. It's really one of the pillars of integrity and the way it works so well for mental. You know, you, before you enter into, um, a situation where you're going through, a, you're going to go through a transformation, right? You're like, I want to be better. I've been this way for this long. I want to be something different. Okay. In order for that to happen, in order for that transformation to, to really take shape, take root, in order for you to develop that confidence, you have to first be honest with yourself, right? You have to know and be very comfortable with who you are. You have to know your limitations, right? Know your strengths. And when you go to work and you to develop that, 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 
mental fitness routine, that, you know, consistent daily grind, that daily effort, the practice regimen, the preparation, when you start taking steps towards becoming that person, you want to order those steps. You want to go into that process knowing who you are, being honest with yourself and shaping, you know, your, your path according to that standard. Yep. And I love when the, from the documentary, I think it was when they were in the uh, NBA finals against the jazz. One of those years, he was, he knew he needed to let off some steam during that playoff run. And the, thankfully enough, the team allowed him, but he, he went to, I think Vegas for a weekend, went to some strip clubs or what have you. He made it back and he dominated when he came back and he knew he needed to let off some steam. So I, I, I want to move this along a little bit. Let's talk about a couple more um, yeah. NBA guys. Hakeem, Hakeem Olajuwon, he didn't start playing basketball until he was 15 years old, two-time NBA champion, uh, MVP of the league, NBA legend, Hall of Famer. Steve Nash, two-time MVP. He didn't win his MVPs until he was 31 and 32. That's a, Just that's for crazy. reference, MJ, Michael Jordan, and LeBron both have won their MVPs around the age of 25. Mm-hmm. So until his 30s. And he was killing it. They should have won a NBA Finals, but it was the uh, Robert Ory heat, uh, heat check someone. So that was bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, Big shot, Bob. <laughs> Joker and Draymond Green, you mentioned them or him earlier. Mm-hmm. These are guys that drafted mm-hmm. in the second round. They're less than 20% of the NBA players come from the second round because there's only two rounds. Um, pretty much a lot of those guys don't even make the, the roster. These guys are all-star all NBA guys, Joker, possibly NBA, uh, MVP type guy. Insane. Second round guys, not the best physically talent, like compared to their peers, not the best, most physically talented guys. Mm-hmm. But these are guys that you have used self-awareness, essentially, mental fitness. You know what You know what I think is funny about Joker is I think his lack of, of physicality actually works to his advantage. I actually think it slows him down. It, 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 you look at him, if you're the, no, it slows him down. But if you're the defender, it's like you don't look at him. You you never when you look at him, you never assume he's going to be able to do the things that he can do, right? It's like weird. Like you never assume he's going to be able to get past you. You never assume he's you know because he just looks he's like this big and you know, kind of burly guy, kind of lumbering around. But you know he's one step ahead. You know he's always yep. one step ahead. Just the mental fitness. Yep. And then in just in other sports, Didier Dropa, my favorite soccer player, football player, if you're international of all time. Dude didn't start playing until 15, and he didn't sign his first professional contract until 21. This is Chelsea, one of the most expensive clubs in, in England, Premier League, fourth, fourth all-time leading scorer, has won the Champions League. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. this, and this is soccer where people, I think, get signed at professional contracts at 15, and he didn't start playing until 15. Um, in MMA, Yoel Romero, a freak Cuban wrestler, dude is jacked out of his gills in his mid-40s. He didn't get into MMA until he's 31. He challenged for three title fights in his 40s. Michael Bisbing, former UFC middleweight championship, didn't win the championship, didn't win the belt till he's 37. Being he was in the league for fighting for how many years? Uh, PGA Tour Dustin Johnson uh, didn't win his first major until the 2016 U.S. Open. He actually just won the he won the 2020 Masters, which happened. Did wasn't that played at like the end of 2020? Anyways. Because it's there, it's about to happen again. He didn't win a major until he was 31 years old, nine years into his professional career, um, and it was tr- his 29th major appearance. And this is regarded as one of the best PGA golfers now. Mm-hmm. Um, boxing, 
Deontay Wilder, mm, the example. guy that's knocked out 40 of his 41 opponents that he's beaten. Um, recently had his first loss against Tyson Fury, but this is a dude that didn't start boxing until he was 20 years old. He wanted to play football at Alabama. Um, he became an B- Olympic bronze medalist, and he's a former heavyweight champion, was the first U.S. champion in several years, in nine years to be exact. So we got people all over the place. I think we wanted to mention Serena Williams. She was overshadowed early in her career by her sister. She was, yeah. Um, I think what Venus, so Venus is a year older than Serena. And up until, up until Serena was around 20 years old, um, I, you know, Venus mostly dominated that matchup. Yeah, so they both entered the league, or both became professional around. Serena was 16. Venus was 17 around 1998. Uh, Venus was winning more often than not during that time. And it took about two to four years for Serena to really overcome her. Um, I think it was 2002 when she finally kind of took the throne from her and became the number one over her. Um, And obviously the rest is history. Obviously Venus has had a spectacular career, but uh, Serena has had a career that kind of spans all sports she's in the conversation of greatest athlete of all time regardless Mm -hmm. of gender or sports so but it took her it took her um arguably four years and only a year behind her sister to really overcome her in a sense and i think it was probably played to her advantage being the younger sister and always having someone to kind of like a marker like right in front of your face, essentially. Absolutely. No, you're to right. Overcome as a kid. So that that definitely gave her probably more fuel to her fire, her competitive fire, um, and made her work even harder. And I think at the end of the day, how you can take advantage of being a late bloomer is all right, I don't have the physical tools. I'm never gonna be the biggest, strongest, fastest, or at least I'm not right now. So I'm gonna strengthen the things that I can control. I can't control my growth spurt. Like, I can't necessarily control how, how, how big I get in the moment, but I can control how much film I study. I can control how much I work, how hard I work at my craft, how many hours I spend practicing. Um, those are the things you can control. You could take advantage of being a late bloomer because it gives you that step back. It, it forces you to take notice of, of your weaknesses. It t- forces you to take notice of the situation because you're not, being elevated to the varsity team. You didn't make the team. You didn't make the fancy travel AAU team. So you have to take notice. You have to take a step back and do kind of a, a scan of your situation, reevaluate, reassess. And ultimately through that, you can become more honest with your situation. That's the integrity piece. And from there, you can practice the mindfulness. And that's the act of trying to be focused in the present moment without judgment and without attachment to the moment. So we're, we're, we're aware, we're, we're trying to develop self-awareness, ability to understand our own emotional triggers, our own biases, our own thoughts, our own feelings, our own mm-hmm. actions, and how they're, how they're connected. Yeah, and mindfulness, too, is the basis for practice. I mean, when you're practicing and you're preparing, you're using mindfulness, you're using visualization techniques um, and a variety of different uh, sensory engagement techniques to learn your craft. Yeah. Mindfulness is at the heart and the center of the preparation experience to becoming and developing greatness. Exactly. So the specific practice like Armin talked about, you can do grounding exercises, engaging your senses, 
five, four, three, two, one. We've talked about that deep breathing meditation practices. You're not only gaining self-awareness of your emotions, but you're also getting a little bit better control or you're willing to detach yourself and just let the emotions go. So as you can gain that better self-awareness, what happens next? You're more self-aware. So then you can communicate better with other people. But before we get to communication, it's also an opportunity to kind of just determine this step back when you didn't make the travel team. All right. Why do I like baseball or why do I like basketball? Yeah. And you kind of list out the reasons and maybe you become grateful. I like basketball because it's fun. I like, cause I can play with my teammates because I can get exercise in, um, things of that nature. So well, gratitude. Yeah, no, for sure. Gratitude is, is about, is your, is your, um, alluding. It's definitely about appreciation and, and kind of the pay it forward mindset, right? Where you, uh, demonstrate appreciation for the people that helped you get to where you were, whether it be your teammates, coaching staff, you know, your parents, um, and they in turn support you in your efforts and, and continue to, to help, help you, uh, to, you know, develop, uh, into what you, you want to become. It, and so that's the reinforcement that happens with gratitude that can be really special. Absolutely. And it, it's difficult to be grateful for getting like cut from your, your eighth grade team or your JV team or your varsity team. It's, it's, it's difficult in those moments, but it, it'll pay off. If you can pick out things that you're grateful for in those moments, that's just going to set the foundation for you to easily be able to pick out all the positive things in your life moving forward. If you can pick out the positive things in your life during these hardships, that sets a foundation that is going to create a positive filter for the rest of your life. It's going to create yeah. curiosity. It's going to create momentum mm -hmm. for you to explore all these different challenges in your life on and off the court, because you've been able to pick out the positive things in your life, even when things are going shitty. And it de you develop well, self-acceptance. Yeah. Exactly. Yes, indeed. Self-acceptance. Um, that's definitely a, a benefit of gratitude. Because, um, you know, gratitude, would, would, it's like an extension of mindfulness from the standpoint of it really connects you spiritually to what you're doing. You know, it helps you understand the purpose of, you know, why you're putting in this effort, this work. And it, and it constantly kind of helps you stay grounded, right? Grounded uh, into why you're doing what you're doing, you know? And, and it's that constant reinforcement to let you know why it's important to continue this journey and to continue to get better, continue to stay strong. And I would say it also is a reinforcement of that integrity piece, mm -hmm. right? Because in gratitude, you're not judgmental right? It's not, it's not judgment. You just want to, right? Just be, be open, transparent, and honest about where you're at, right? Do that self-check. Yeah. And then if you're, if you're not where you need to be, you, you make the necessary adjustments, right? Yeah. And the mindfulness kicks in, you make those adjustments yeah. and that's how you get better. I wanted to expand upon the reinforcement aspect and give an example. So say you have a tough pra football practice, a really tough football practice, your, your wide receiver, for example, you go out there, you have a scrimmage this day, practice in a scrimmage, and you drop a lot of balls. But you make this like sick one-hand catch on the sideline, 20-yard gain, first down, put your team in scoring position. But the rest of the day is kind of shitty. You have a bunch of drops. You get you get laid out by a linebacker going across the middle. You get your bell rung. So at the end of that practice, 
you can kind of be like, wow, dude, I had six drops. I got my ribs hurt because I got crushed. I'm sore. It was just a scrimmage. I let my quarterback down. I let my coaches down. That's going to be demoralizing if you focus in on those parts. So the idea is, to how, how do you, the, the gratitude piece and the, and the positive reinforcer piece would be, all right, I made a sick catch on the sideline. That was actually a lot of fun when I made that catch. My QB was hype. My team was hype. My coaches were hype. They were giving me high fives. I want to feel that again. So focus in on that. That's not to say you ignore the drops because you still want to strengthen those weaknesses. You still want to do better. But focus in on the positives. Focus in on that catch you made. Focus in on how excited your teammate was, how excited your quarterback was. Focus in on the that you were out there playing football with your guys. Focus in on those positives. That And that positive reinforces it. So next time you have a scrimmage, next time you go to football practice, you're pumped up because you're remembering those positive things. That's right. And you want to you want to feed feed yourself with those positive things. That's indeed. Yeah, no, exactly right. I mean, gratitude is kind of the fuel to the positive reinforcement cycle and, and the, the passion uh, that you, you know, one has when they talk about the love of the game. You know, it's, it's really gratitude that, that is kind of uh, behind all of that. And I think, um, you know, another thing with, uh, with gratitude is that you know, it, it's, we talk about this, this, this idea of appreciation. Um, and, you know, I think when you have the right appreciation for what you're doing, you know, LeBron James often refers to the, the notion of like playing the game and kind of doing things the right way, like respecting the game and, you know, stuff like that. And when you respect the game and you're grateful for what you're doing, no, you're never going to perform badly. Have a bad day at the office. And, and just forget about that. And just let that um, let that become the standard, right? I think what what you know, it's not certainly about judgment, you know, and getting down on yourself. And this is the balance that you know you kind of have to strike. And this is why none of this is easy, right? This is this is all hard, difficult work. We kind of make it seem like you know it's it's something that you just sort of um, can snap into, but it really is a process, and it's an it's an evolution and. And the balance that you have to strike here is on the one hand, you don't want to focus on the bad performance, um, but you certainly want to be aware of where, you know, what, what you can do better. And you want to be able without judgment to evaluate yourself truthfully and honestly and sincerely and sort of make amends by working harder the next day and being mindful the next time around of what you have to do differently um, for the love of the game, right? Because understanding that it's about really being true to yourself. I mean, if you've really truly put the work in and, and you have something great that you're trying to become, you owe it to yourself to you know, to, to do things the right way and to perform the right way to get the absolute best out of the experience, right? So that's what gratitude is about. Yeah. If you're honest with yourself, if you're self-aware, if you're aware of your situation, if you're grateful, <clears throat> it's going to be a, make it a lot easier for you to communicate with other people, with your teammates, with your coaching staff, and make those connections. And that obviously is going to 
also speaking of positive reinforce, that's going to positively reinforce your, your abilities and your confidence. Um, but it's also going to make you more bonded to your teammates. And that can only be helpful for your sport and your performance and creating that type of connection. And then from there, you're going to continue to build confidence mm-hmm. and confidence and confidence, and confidence. And that leads to mental fitness. That leads to resilience right then and there. You could then, you have the confidence to, to attack challenges and to overcome them because you know you're always going to find the positive. You're going to be self-aware of your weaknesses, strengthen those. You're going to be connected to your teammates and your coaches if you need support. And you're going to be confident. Yeah. I mean, resilience is, is when it all comes together, right? It's, it's, the, it's the total like the unification of, of all of these different forces, you know, you mentioned the integrity first, mindfulness, gratitude, communication, confidence is, you know, I, ma- I imagine a pyramid and the confidence being that kind of piece that, you know, is at the very top, the pinnacle, right? And that entire structure, the entire pyramid all of the pieces being resilience because what resilience is 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 all of these things confidence uh sort of being the product in action and and resilience develops with learned experience so confidence can certainly be a blind confidence um when you haven't had the experience and put it to use right so through experience and actually having success within your confidence, that's what resilience is about. And the more experiences you build, the more your, your process and your confidence works for you and continues to help you achieve success, the more resilient you become. Absolutely. So um, I think that's, I, I can't wait to continue to share more and more of this mental fitness programming um late bloomers was was another podcast to just emphasize like it's okay if if you're falling behind or you think you're behind at, at a certain age you could use that to your advantage if you can develop take take time to develop the mental fitness sometimes it's not always um best to be the best it's not always best to be on, put on that pedestal cuz sometimes you overlook these mental fitness principles hey it's all about timing it's all about timing man Everything comes in your time, right? In, in its time, in its time. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's just not your moment. Your time is coming. And when you have patience, again, patience is a virtue, and you allow nature to take its course, your time will come and you're, you will come into full bloom. So I want to I leave you guys with uh with this thought um you know we talk about late bloomers and uh when i think about something coming into bloom i think about a plant um you know i think about a plant as it as it grows uh oftentimes we can't really see what's happening because you know there's a network of roots that are growing underneath the surface right underneath the, the earth's surface and we know that uh, a tree or a plant's full glory is not based on what you can see above the surface, right? It's based on what you can't see. It's based on 
the the strength and the depth and the breadth of its roots. And you know, when I think of something coming into into bloom late in season, I, I, I imagine that the reason why is because nature intended that it was going to be spending more time nurturing this flower, nurturing this plant underneath the surface, underneath the soil, developing its roots, enabling it to grow stronger in foundation, right? In the roots, so that once it finally started its growth cycle upwards and begins to sprout and grow out and come into its full bloom and its full glory, it's bigger, stronger, and more glorious than, than ever. Right. And, um, oh, you need, you're not going to be able to uproot that. Exactly. You know, and that's what we think of when we think about a late bloomer, you know, it's not someone who's disadvantaged, um, you know, or someone that doesn't have what it takes. You know, these are a lot of these traditional ideas. And this is why guys like this and, and ladies like this get overlooked because people, they, they rely too much on what they see and they don't necessarily look within, right? Look on the inside, look underneath the surface. And if they, if they could, they would see the heart, right? The, the passion, the drive, uh, all these intangibles and mental fitness, these aren't things that people are going to be able to see. Those are the roots, right? These are all things that are going to be beneath the surface. Those are the roots. And those are things that, those are the things that can be developed. Mm. With a mental fitness program like the sports MDs. So that late bloomers are going to be able to weather the storm because it's resilient and mentally fit. I love it. We're going to have to have a illustration up of that. So let's wrap this up. But any late bloomers out there that want more concrete assistance, check out our partners, the athletic Academy. If you're a high school, specifically if you're a high school football athlete right now, they're going to expand other sports but right now. They just do high school football, go check out their, their site. Um, we're going to have it up on our social medias, the athletic Academy, just Google that, um, and create a player card. You can put your, you can upload yourself up on there. Um, you can put your video footage up there, your highlights, your stats. Um, they have a college search tool, get yourself out there, get yourself seen. Um, and you'd be surprised. There's so many different tools on their website. Go check it out. They're dedicated to help you achieve your goals in athletics and, and beyond. And, um, it's, I think it's a great tool to, to be seen for someone who's been overlooked like a late bloomer may have. Mm -hmm. yeah, man. And we'll, and, and check out our podcast with them. We have two of the Ath athletic Academy guys join us for another podcast. We'll upload that one shortly after this one. And yeah, I appreciate you guys tuning in. Absolutely. Yeah. Tune in again, tune in next time. You know, you know, you know what we're going to be doing. We're going to be talking about, mental fitness. We're going to be between your ears. Yeah. Anyway, um, we plan on uh, having a, a good long run here. So stay tuned. Hey, check out our social media. Okay. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook, you know, check out our posts, make comments. If you guys want any type of new material, let us know, you know, and yeah. uh, we're happy to do it. Um, we're going to be going live here pretty soon. Yeah, let us know if you want to join Thank the you. squad. Yes, absolutely. Um, we're, we're going to be talking more about employment opportunities, uh, at a later broadcast, but 
um, at any rate, man. Create a community. We already have a community, man. We're, we're, we have a community. We're trying to create a, a universe. Oh, I like that. In, yeah, a universe. I'm, I am just an aperture for the universe. Oh, that's love that. All right, man. Let's uh, end the stigma. Let's continue the conversation.